In today's fast-paced world, your business deserves banking solutions that are as dynamic and cost-effective as you are. Solutions like free business checking from LGE Community Credit Union, free online and mobile banking, no minimum balance required, plus no maintenance fees and dividends on your balance. At LGE, we're a smarter way to bank. See what's possible for your business at lgeccu.org. No monthly maintenance fees. Other service fees such as NSF, overdraft, wire, and stop payment fees still apply. Not all businesses will qualify. Membership eligibility and base savings account that keeps a $5 minimum balance required. Sports Today proudly presents the Chuck Oliver Show. It's an inside look at everything college football. Now live from Atlanta, Georgia, it's time to talk college football with the reigning king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. An updated list only reflects half the story. Tyler in Spartanburg. Chuck Oliver Show on a Thursday. And we have all manner of college football to discuss today. Our truest reporters include Jeff Tarpley from Gigan 247. Bottom of the hour, going to talk a little Texas A&M. We got Brian Haydad, Super Talk Mississippi, coming on to talk mostly Mississippi State, but we'll talk the in-state pulse. That's us. Edgar Thompson, Orlando Sentinel. He's the beat writer for UF. And plenty of interest in what he's posting these days. But I said an updated list only reflects half the story. And that's Tyler and Spartanburg. And that's, I mean, my goodness, so many other folks. Because we draw a direct, uninterrupted line from one figure to wins and losses. I was reading this morning. Heath, I don't know if you ran across this. David, whomever. Everybody listening. I was looking on 247. Dabo Swinney and Kirby Smart lead college football's 15 highest paid coaches for 2024. The club is now $9 million and above. That's the $9 million club. And there are 15 in the $9 million club. And so that's where the upper reaches of the top 15, that's where it starts. So you can go look at all these uh, rankings, and there's some tied fours, et cetera. But when I say an updated list only reflects half the story, specifically Tyler and Spartanburg, because... Were we aware of this? I don't know. I'm sure that extended monies and deferments, et cetera. Dabo Swinney is the highest paid coach in college football at $11.5 million. Now, like I said, extended monies. Like Nick Saban was making whatever he was, and that didn't include – who did he – Aflac? That was a national endorsement. Regions Bank, I would imagine – is that a regional endorsement, I'm guessing? Whoever else he endorsed, he made a lot, a lot of money, plus the Mercedes stuff and whatever. I'm talking 15th and 30th. Dabo, $11.5 million. He is the highest paid head coach in college football. His team's on-field performance is not the highest in the game. And as you move down from Dabo, there are blatant, easy-to-identify examples of head coaches being paid at a level way above the level of on-field results. And so that's the line we draw. 
you're ranked here in pay. Our team's performance is not that high in the national rankings. You're the highest paid coach. We aren't the best program. Clemson lose four games last year. Were they like three and four at one point? And he's, I'll give Dabo credit. I'll give the man credit. He went chest out. And I don't know if he believed it or not, but boy, he said it like he did. He looked into the camera like Rafael Palmero, and he swore this Clemson team is on the way up. Bye. Well, I kept winning. And he's the highest paid coach in the game. His team is not the highest performing. If you start looking at the rankings of the other coaches, like Kirby's second, okay, Georgia fans, no gripe. Ryan Day's third, Ohio State fans, really no gripe. Kalen DeBoer, uh, it's early. Lincoln Riley, USC's private, right? Because this is estimated. 10 million, comma, estimated. But that's kind of, we got a lot of the details about the private jet and all the other stuff. So Lincoln Riley... Look at his team. Look at the on-field production. So, see, that's where we start to get to this. But at least USC, you score a bunch of points and you're on TV and you might have been the best team in the conference or the best program and Heisman Trophy, this, that, a third. Keep on going. There are a lot of examples of head coaches being paid at a level way above the level of the on-field results. But the on-field results, that's only half of how we should evaluate successful football program. In almost every other industry, folks, there's only one ledger you need to satisfy, the economic one. In sports, here's the kicker. You have the money side that has to make sense as well, and then you have the really public wins and losses side. It's what makes sports business different. You don't have that in other industries. In other industries, it's about what's the money. In sports, are we making money? Okay, and what about wins and losses and championships, and did we beat our rival? Like, isn't that a whole lot? Like, we used to talk, Jim, Jim Harbaugh, you're doing everything except beat Ohio State. Okay, do we realize how much that means? Look at Ryan Day right now. You're doing everything but beat Michigan. Do we realize how much that means? Because there are two ledgers. And it's one of the only areas in our life where there are two ledgers. And the wins and losses one, that's the one that the public cares about. You have to mind the other one or you don't get to play like at all. And then there's the wins and losses, which honestly, Vanderbilt or Alabama, wildly different results on the field. How much has it really affected Vanderbilt? You get in Dutch financially? We've seen universities shut down. I've never seen a school close because the football team went 2-10. and 10. So that's why this industry is different. Raise your hand right now if you're listening. Raise your hand right now. If you are employed, you work hard, and you make less than $180,000 per year. All right, that's almost everyone. According to figures from checkers and rallies, the boiled down take-home profit for a unit, you know those little like squares they drop into a parking lot where you can drive up and buy a checkers burger. The take-home profit 
for a unit is about $180,000 per year. If you are the franchisee, that's your location, the 180 grand is the measuring stick. The fact that your burger doesn't compare any way to the burger at like Five Guys, Burger King, most of what McDonald's offers, you don't care that you don't win the burger quality competition and that you likely finish way in the back when we compare you against people who do exactly what you do. If your own customers who buy burgers from you tell you, you know, Red Robin, way better. Okay, true, but it's about the money, so that's fine. In sports, not only do you have to make the money, you got to make the best burger. It's the only part of our lives where we're part of an industry and we insist that both ledgers get satisfied. Mark Stoops right now, the eighth highest paid coach in college football. He is nowhere near the eighth best coach or eighth most successful or eighth anything. Kentucky football is not the eighth best anything probably since Bear Bryant was there. He's the eighth highest paid coach. But what if at the core of the athletic department, what if at the core football is just a business to them? Well, if that's the case, Bennis is really, really good. As in, could you guess, could you guess how much revenue the University of Kentucky brought in in athletics last year, according to Forbes? Good enough for me. University of Kentucky brought in $159 million in, like, official monies. Not the other monies. And, uh, folks, a lot of what rich people give... That's, that's other monies. I'm talking in the official money where you can say this came athletics, ticket sales, merchandising, licensing, TV, whatever it was. $159 million? At Kentucky, where for 50% of the programs that really drive the thing, what are you? Huh? But you got the eighth highest paid coach. There is a chance that at our athletic departments, there are folks who don't care. That they look at the accounting ledger. We, we've had, if I could go way back, I'm a man of a certain age, but the first time I remember this happening was Bobby Knight at IU. He would get in like public spats with academics, and I was shocked. Shocked, I tell you. Now I was like an eighth grader. That somebody in the English department at Indiana said, I don't care if we win a national championship. <gasps> Clutch the pearls. He was talking about budgetary, this, that, and the other. And I was like, how could you be at Indiana and you don't care about basketball? Okay, I get it now. And those people just look at the accounting ledger. Those folks don't fire Tom Allen because you know what works in the Big Ten? Indiana's direct deposit. So it was the wins and losses, that extra ledger. I promise you, Tom Allen and everything they were doing with Hoosiers football, the business side of it, folks, we got to make sure they're having a tough time making ends meet. No, the ends are meeting. I, I promise you, the ends are meeting. And at a lot of places, that's okay. It could be okay at Missouri. Some folks decided, no, we want more. I think it's okay at Kentucky, honestly. I think it's okay at Vanderbilt. And I'm talking like maybe institutionally. I don't know that. 
but it seems that it's getting kind of more okay for that very public ledger, the one that we always look at, the wins and losses. It's kind of getting more okay for that one to not be the priority. That the checks and balances of the bank account, that 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 is the real measuring stick. And so if all we are doing is running a really successful burger stand, it ain't the best burger, but it's pretty dang successful. Well, what do you mean? You said you're, you're not a great burger. No, we're a profitable burger. And by that, yes, raise your hand and call it a success. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Come back, jump into it on the sturdy. Always college football time in the South. Now back to more of the king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. Now we go. Here's all college football. Chuck Oliver Show. Oh, what kind of wonderful guest we have today. We will be talking college football. Um, as we do for two hours a day, every single day, and half for 10 years. Now, one of the programs that I had mentioned that we were going to discuss a little earlier was uh, Mississippi State and Ole Miss. Uh, what's going on in state there? And I want to say that there's a real good example that we just had there of what is so much rarer than it used to be in college football. Mike Leach, going way back, as engaging and fun as he could be, it was a good thing when he got to be head coach because, you know, there are recruiting restrictions on the actual head coach. When you're an assistant, you have to hit the bricks in almost every case and be out there recruiting. And so when Mike Leach was an assistant and a play caller and whatever else, um, you can imagine if in a press conference he gets distracted on – rank the mascots in the Pac-12, and he asked provocative questions like, well, is it the guy on the horse? Does he have the gun, or is it just him um, when talking about Utah? Um, again, maybe really men recruiting-wise. What doesn't exist much anymore is like Todd Munkin last year in Athens, last couple years in Athens, one of the very few that, that remained in college football. He doesn't have to do anything but call plays. It was almost a divided, I'll say, duties of coach of a coaching staff back in the day where everybody understood there were two or three members of the coaching staff who they don't have to really recruit. They can just call plays. They can just coach. These are the guys. kind of like, you know, you've seen when a coach divides up special teams and you have 10 assistants and you have one guy do PAT field goal block, one guy do PAT field goal, one guy do kick and punt return. You know, you, you, but there's not enough for everybody to take part in it. So, quote, dividing up special teams duties, it only involved like half the staff. That's how recruiting used to be. All right, these guys, you don't have to do that. Todd Munkin was like, my understanding, my understanding. I don't know if this is true or not. I've repeated it. It makes sense, but I don't know if it was actually true. 
I had this said to me one time, I don't know, 20 years ago. Spurrier doesn't, this is an angry Florida fan. Spurrier doesn't even try to recruit. And I was like, really? Won a national championship, six SEC titles in 12 years. Quote, he waits till January, goes down to Bell Glade, finds some receivers, heads back to Gainesville. I was like, that seems simplistic. Um, but I, maybe, I don't know, 20 years ago? Well, there's a lot that was true 20 years ago that doesn't really exist anymore. The reason I bring all this up is you'll hear me sometimes say, I'm hearing crazy stuff out of wherever. I'm hearing crazy stuff out of Starkville. I'm hearing crazy stuff out of you know Clemson. I so want to tell, I'm hearing crazy stuff out of Seabus or L.A. or somewhere in the NFL. Chip Kelly leaving as head coach of UCLA, they haven't been so great. He does not excel at recruiting. Um, speaking of that, um, and him being a head coach who is going palms up, you know what? You don't have to fire me. The buyout, that'd be whatever. I'm leaving. I'm just, I'm just leaving. Not to be head coach of like the Washington Commanders, to be a play caller, to be a position coach. I'm leaving as head coach in Power Five to go be an assistant in the NFL. I had been hearing that about Chip Kelly. What I haven't heard is a Power Five head coach leaving to be an assistant at a Power Five school. That's not a very normal thing. We have had head coaches at Group of Five. Dan Enos was one of the first where we were like, maybe it's better to be a coordinator in the SEC than a head coach in the MAC. Maybe. Do you know it's not true? It can't be true. It's better to be a coordinator in the Big Ten than a head coach in the Big Ten because, by the by, UCLA is a Big Ten school now. And Chip Kelly, for whatever this, I don't know the duration of this, but Chip Kelly, who in the couple of weeks leading up to signing day, did everything but put an inflatable gorilla on his roof and a spotlight in his front yard. I'm on sale. I'm crazy. I'm giving myself away. Um, Chip Kelly, leading up to signing day, was like, hey, anybody in the league want me? I don't know if it came back lukewarm or he's just trying to stack his options. Word around the campfires, Chip Kelly might be the OC at Ohio State if Bill O'Brien is named the BC head coach in the next day, which could happen. Apparently, it's him and one other guy. So he leaves. Ryan Day, he's got a financial hammer. Chip Kelly gets even further away from people who will want to talk to him. In fact, Brian Day may not even allow it. That's not possible. A head coach in the Big Ten at that, not Rutgers, that program. Yeah, I'll just go call plays. Hey, Chip, you don't have to recruit at all. Good, because I don't. (laughs) My wife's like, you don't have to vacuum anymore. Okay, good. There was something. We had a rug. You know, we're like on each long end of the rug. There's like little fringes all along it. I don't know. I did something wrong. So I'm not allowed to vacuum anymore. Um, That's Chip. Chip, uh, do I have to recruit? You're not allowed to recruit, Chip. Hey, how's how's your Thursday? Yeah, the the, the word on that uh, Boston College job is that it'll get filled within the next day or two. And it's either Bill O'Brien or possibly Al Washington, who played at the school and is a guy who's bounced around, been on Ohio State staff, Notre Dame right now. Uh, So we'll see. We'll see which one of them gets it. Michigan Chuck is uh, busy trying to fill their defensive coordinator spot. And uh, look, I don't know if Sharon Moore realized how many moves he would have to make on his staff when he 
wound up getting the job because there's some guys that it seems like maybe didn't expect uh, or that weren't expected to leave with Harbaugh that decided to. Whatever the deal, today reportedly they're interviewing Wink Martindale for their defensive coordinator job. Uh, no, he's not going to sell them a reverse mortgage, but what he is going to do supposedly is uh, be another guy in that same system of Ravens coordinators. Obviously, he was there as the Ravens yep. coordinator for a bunch of years, and so they've had success bringing guys in from that system, let them work, and and so they're trying to find somebody to keep that system going. I don't know, though, Chuck. I, Wink, Wink Martindale... The reason he is out in the NFL right now is because he and Dable could not get together on, apparently even last year, on the same personality level. Dable apparently burns a little too hot, and Martindale's a little bit more of an organized, Yeah, they pitched that as a mutual separation. Yeah, and so I, I just, a guy like that suddenly coming to college football, it's one thing if you're Mike McDonald and you say, okay, I'm going to get my first crack at being a coordinator, go to Michigan, know that I'm probably coming back to the NFL here in the next year or two. I don't know about Wink Martindale. He knows the system, but when you haven't worked in college at all in a long time and you're you're used to dealing primarily with grown men, I don't know about that, Chuck. It's one thing to know the system. Do you know how to teach it to 20-year-olds? And that is the thing. I'm not sold at all that Wink Martindale's a good fit there. It it feels like if you're Sean Moore and you want to put a stamp on the program, put a stamp on the program. Make your move. Do something. Now, again, I get it. This has been an effective system for them. But this feels like you're trying to just sort of keep what's going going and you're not really looking at the long term of how it goes. And who knows? Maybe you're thinking, hey, this guy only comes in for one year. He teaches it to somebody that I brought in as a linebacker coach or whatever. Mm. And then and then he'll hand it off after a year. Maybe that's his thought process. No, this but is this, this feels like hiring Glenn Fry's kid. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't love this. This this feels to me like somebody who is pushing, trying a little too hard to keep the what's been going going. I don't think this makes much sense. Uh, I, I agree with you, and it's – you know what? Didn't Ed Ogeron try that when Joe Brady went to the league? I'm going to get the next Joe Brady or Joe Brady light, or we're going to keep this thing rolling. I'm like, well, what about the quarterback? Because he's like the first overall pick, and that's like really important to me. Um, but it was going to be that same sort of thing going forward, and it never, ever happened. In today's fast-paced world, your business deserves banking solutions that are as dynamic and cost-effective as you are. Solutions like free business checking from LGE Community Credit Union, free online and mobile banking, no minimum balance required, plus no maintenance fees and dividends on your balance. At LGE, we're a smarter way to bank. See what's possible for your business at lgeccu.org. No monthly maintenance fees. Other service fees such as NSF, overdraft, wire, and stop payment fees still apply. Not all businesses will qualify. Membership eligibility and base savings account that keeps $5 minimum balance required. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. Nine states and 66. We deal out two hours of college football conversation every single day. Been doing it for almost 10 years now. Yay, us. LSU and Texas A&M tangle on the recruiting trail. It's been going on for decades. I remember one of the first instances where I even knew they paid attention to each other. I was like, oh, they really dislike one another. There's a running back out of Texas, a kid named Harvey Williams. 
Um, and he apparently was a back and forth between the Aggies and LSU, and LSU won that one. And I was like, my gosh, this the 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 emotion. And then I investigated. I was like, oh, these are two fan bases that go at it regular. Uh, it still happens today, and in yesterday's signing day, uh, Texas A&M brought it home. Terry Bussey, five-star corner, probably. He signs with Texas A&M after playing footsie hither and yon, and good for Mike Elko as his first class continues to develop. Uh, to that extent, we want to talk a little bit of Texas A&M. I want to welcome on right now Jeff Tarpley, Gigum 247. Jeff, how's your day going? Jeff! All right, we're going to get him on here in just a second. Uh, Terry Bussey is the kid, if you remember, that I had said there are only a couple of five stars who aren't not only not signed but aren't committed or, like, we're really certain about it. Ryan Williams was a five-star who wasn't signed, but he had reaffirmed to Alabama and was just waiting until the Wednesday period opened. Uh, this was different. This was a five-star who LSU was trying to – I think they had him on campus middle of the week last week, and had, they've been trying to true love him for a while. So I want to welcome on Jeff Tarpley from Gigham 247. Jeff, how's your Thursday? Doing great. And I was actually a student at A&M when Williams spurned the Aggies for the Tigers. Uh, going on 40 years ago now. Yeah, at that I was like, why are they so emotional? There are other running backs. And I was like, oh, that, there's history here. Well, now it's almost 40 years later, and it's the same thing. Talk Terry Bussey and uh, the fact that he stayed in the fold. And what's he going to do? He's a cornerback. Is that right? You know, he can play. He played DB in high school. He was very, very good at it. He was a quarterback on the offensive side of the ball. But when he went to the Polynesian Bowl. He proceeded to have a really good stint as a receiver in the one-on-one drills. I think it depends on what you, how you look at his size and what you can do with him from a size perspective because he's got the skills to play on either side of the football. Just from a size standpoint, does he fit better at a corner or a nickel? or maybe in, on the offensive side of the ball in terms of a slot. If you put him on offense, though, and you do watch his film on offense, I will say this, you've got to get him the ball as often as possible because he's a really, really dynamic playmaker. And when you train him up as a receiver to read coverages and run routes, I don't know. I mean, I know everybody likes him on defense, but he could really make a, make a great impact for you on the offensive side of the ball as well. And I want to say kind of a weird story. No, it's a 2024. It's a modern-day college football story. Uh, a kid who had already signed with Arkansas, uh, he got his complete release because, God forbid, we get a bad online review. Um, so Arkansas lets Ashton Bethel Roman out, and Elko gets him too. Talk the four-star wide receiver who is now an Aggie. And that was a back-and-forth before December 20th when he signed for market with Arkansas anyway. He's kind of representative of the receivers that A&M brought into the class, regardless of whether they were out of high school or whether they came in through the transfer portal. He's kind of got deceptive long speed. Uh, he can get down the field. And you can, you know, in terms of what A&M brought into the fold, these other guys, either they've got pretty good top-end speed or they're guys that you look at them and, and you know, if if you're even – they're leaving. Yep. And this is a guy that's kind of like that. He's just kind of a smooth, fluid, long strider who, when he gets going, you just don't realize it. And before you know it, he's past you and he's making a big grab. 
All right, so those are two specifics, and those were big names. And uh, I think like what happened with Bethel Roman, I was like, folks, that's not about the kid or the programs. That's just like what it is now. So that's going to not even catch our eyes much anymore. It's just going to be another signing. But the point to me is Elko got those signings. Uh, what about him and the staff that he put together? So quickly, they had sort of an old school rally high school class. Like when you get a new staff and you're like, how can we finish? They finished pretty well. How did they do that? You know, Elko turned out probably to be a better closer than what people first imagined. Uh, He's kind of an old school kind of coach. You know, this was an old school approach. He's kind of an old school kind of approach. He wants to preach a physical brand of football, and he wants to hold people accountable. And I think in this day and age when we talk about NIL and, 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 you know, building your brand and everything else, he's more about, hey, what can you do for us and how can you function as a part of the group? And so you have to be accountable. You have to be available. And those were two things that make you physical because you want to be able to play a physical brand of football. All of those things were kind of lacking in the latter years of of Jimbo Fisher's tenure. And I think Fisher brought in bigger names, but he just wasn't able to get what he wanted to out of them what A&M fans wanted out of him. Elko, on the other hand, you look at what he's doing. He has a better chance. You know, he, on the surface, it looks like he has a better chance to get these kids to play up their potential. Maybe not five-star level, but maybe he can get a four-star to play like a four-star as opposed to having a five-star who transfers out in a year or two. All right, funny you brought that up because, I mean, Jimbo was just bringing in the best of the best when it comes to recruits, a quarterback. Um, and so you see a name like Connor Wegman, you think, oh, my gosh, he's going to be a star. You know, he's going to start. He's going to be the guy. Um, I was talking quarterback yesterday at Texas A&M, and there is a real competition this spring. Is is that accurate? Because that's how it was presented to me. What do you expect this uh, depth chart to look like entering spring practice? Well, I think everybody – assumes that Wigman's going to be the guy because he had a very successful end to his freshman year. Uh, he played well at times in you know, what turned out to be a, a somewhat limited yeah. second-year campaign. But you you look at the folks that they had at the position last year that came in after he was injured. Jalen Henderson, uh, he had the highest passer rating of anyone on the team. In fact, his passer rating in, in his was I think third or fourth in the SEC if he would have had enough attempts and in particular his mobility was really important A&M's pass protection they really struggled at that last year he was able to buy time and just get the ball off and the receivers did a pretty good job getting open last year that wasn't the issue as much as the fact that they just struggled to get the quarterback where they could you know hey drop back plant that foot get the ball out they really they really had a problem with that uh and marcel Reed in the bowl game kind of the same thing he was able to buy time and he did have a, a rushing touchdown but his rushing yardage wasn't the key he had a very very good game throwing the football simply because he bought time and was able to get the ball down the field so yeah uh based on that wayman certainly does Regardless of his pedigree, he's certainly going to have a challenge in spring practice and even going into fall camp. I doubt you're going to see a starter named uh, by the time that even uh, fall camp opens in early August. All right, a little crystal ball from you because I can tell you what I remember about watching Colin Klein, Colin Klein play, and then I know how the Wildcats' offense has been with him, you know, as the OC and coaching quarterbacks there. 
they're kind of rough and tumble. Um, what, and I mean that in a good way, with, with the QB, what is his approach going to be for this offense? Because you get different kids at A&M. You get a different caliber of athlete to coach at A&M than you do at Kansas State. Well, I think one thing that A&M fans are going to be cognizant of is the fact that they played four different quarterbacks last year because three of them got banged up. So I, I think Colin Klein is going to have to be cognizant of that, that you're in the SEC, which is a, a very nasty physical league where, where quarterbacks tend to take hits yep. if you don't protect them. That was A&M's problem last year. I think he's going to be more oriented towards keeping the ball out of the quarterback's hands as opposed to what he was at Kansas State, you're going to see the same type of, of misdirection, uh, not just pre-snap, but post-snap. You're going to see multiple tight end sets where he's going to show you something heavy, and then he's going to throw the ball down the field, or maybe he's going to get in what you would call a, a spread formation and then, uh, and then run the ball out of that. I think, though, in the modern game, people talk about quarterback development. You could not develop your quarterback if they are if they are in the mash unit or if they're constantly getting knocked to the ground. And I think for A and M that's gonna be the key no matter who the quarterback is in twenty twenty four. All right, last thing for you, and we're talking high school recruiting, which is kind of a weird thing now, different than ever before. Like uh, the program this year brought in 17 high school kids, and I'm going to say, quote, only seven of them in state. Um, If I'm looking at in-state recruits, state of Texas, A&M and UT combined for only two of the top eight in-state recruits. Is that just a weird one-off, or are we concentrating so much on the portal because we're an immediate win now? Like, what is the commentary, if any? I think from A&M's perspective, Elko arrived. He didn't arrive late, but when you ever, whenever you have a coaching change, you just don't – you lose those connections – that you had previously in your recruiting region uh, with the coaches that you had. So, and also keep in mind too, A&M had a lot of attrition in the portal and to the NFL draft. This would, this, this, this program is going to have a few players drafted this year, especially on the, on the defensive side of the football. They only had three scholarship wide receivers in the bowl game. Uh, they, we're playing freshmen and walk-ons at corner in the bowl game. So Elko had to go out and get immediate help. And the only way you can do that these days, you can't really count on freshmen to do that much anymore unless you're bringing in a guy, five-star, surefire kid that you can start right away. And so he had to make the portal a priority, and he had to do that. And A&M is better off for that, This going to be better off for that this upcoming season. I agree with you on that. And like I said, when they, when we're a big-time program, like this to recruit and redshirt and develop and then we'll start a bunch of fifth-year linemen, man, that's fairy tale stuff now. It just really is. Jeff, uh, thank you for coming on, friend. I appreciate you. Yes, sir. Gig them 247. They cover A&M like nobody else. So, yeah, that was um, – it was just varying levels of how many kids that you would redshirt. And, like, Nebraska was always the big one because, like, I knew people who played played high school football with fewer than 11 guys. Like, we just didn't have that many people. So, we played uh, eight-man, we seven-man, we do whatever. And so, Nebraska had that renowned walk-on program and then the renowned weight room program and then – 
renowned standardized testing came and things changed on that front a little bit. But the game also used to be about we're huge and we're going to lean on you and be stronger and push you around. And that's what we're going to do at Nebraska because everything is played with this massive humanity moving the ball, grinding through every blade of grass towards the end zone. And that's how almost everyone played. And if you didn't, it was because you weren't man enough. You were BYU or San Diego State or Steve Spurrier. Son, you got to run the ball in the SEC. Oh. So it's just a different thing now. All right. we uh, Gosh, look at the clock. We break. We wrap up hour one next. of college football no matter where you go with a new southern sports today app catch the best college football conversation in the south everywhere with the sst live stream and daily podcast downloaded now at the app store and the google play store now more of the best college football talk in the country it's the chuck oliver show i said dude is this true he got to do it you know he got to do it he, he he his affinity for nebraska uh for a guy like that to tell me and to, you know, get behind me. Look, I knew, I knew he needed to do it, but I wasn't going to sit here and say, you need to go change that place or be a part of the change at that place. Um, So when Kirk told me that, you know, I was like, man. Dominic Rola. I hope we read more than the crawl or the story. That is Dylan Rayola's father. And remember that his dad played in the league for like, I don't know, 12 years. And his dad's brother is the offensive line coach at Nebraska. He's one of the coaches, on-field coach at Nebraska. And his dad played at Nebraska as well and was like really, really good. Remember what I was just saying about how when Nebraska would have, I heard absurd numbers. I remember, Heath Klein, do you ever remember? I remember back in the day hearing like 125 players in the walk-on program. Does that sound absurd or does that like ring a bell? Oh, no, no. That sounds absolutely legit because they the way they had it set up, which each county had its own walk-on. And so, yeah, they it, had this, this army of kids that basically, even if they were going to be cannon fodder, they were going to be there. And you always had somebody, at least somebody fresh who could run a 60-yard sprint to cover a kick in the fourth quarter. Like, I'm not, I'm, folks, I've always said special teams is where it's, so whatever. They had a legendary walk-on program. And the approach was, we're going to drop you into the weight room because, you know, 13 months a year, the weather sucks. So you're going to run and lift and eat. And then at some point, you're going to run out of that tunnel wearing number 66, and you're going to kind of maul some people. So, by the way, it worked, and then it worked, and then it just worked, like every year to conference and national championship standards. And Rayola was part of that, like the very tail, very last end of it. Um, And now that just doesn't work anymore, not at that level. So, Kirk Herbstreet, if you saw the headline, my gosh, he's making news. He's supposed to be reporting the news or commenting on it that he guided or advised or told or instructed the nation's number one recruit, a five-star quarterback, Georgia. Nah, you don't go there. You don't go to Nebraska. I don't know what the motivation would have been when I saw that. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Click. 
Oh, wait a minute. That click up. I just got in. It's like a $10 bill on a piece of fishing line. Um, and I was like, that can't be, huh? I knew it was going to be something. And it was, as the recruit's father said, this was a firsthand conversation with Kirk Herbstreet. And I don't, Heath, am I boiling this down right? The comments were, hey, if we go to Nebraska, here are all the positives. And Kirk Herbstreet said, wow, sounds like a good deal. Yeah, the way the way that he told the story made it sound like Herbstreet just called him out of the blue again. Those two guys apparently have been friends for a while. They yeah. talk. So this isn't just Kirk Herbstreet randomly dialing this guy's no. phone. But they're talking, and he tells him, hey, you know, it looks like Dylan might go to Nebraska, and Herb Street was enthusiastic about that, about the idea of, oh, awesome, of getting that program going off the ground. But as he told the story, Georgia fans in particular took it as Herb Street stole our quarterback. And look, the the ability of people these days to put together conspiracies is something else. So it, it became oh, immediately I- he's doing it because Ohio State and Georgia are going to play in the playoff one day, and he's trying to keep him from being at Ohio State. So by putting him at, at Nebraska, it's like, well, first of all, let's just say that was true. Guess what? Georgia's got their quarterback for 2024. Would you be shocked if Dylan Riolo was the quarterback at Georgia in 25, Chuck? Or 26 or 27? Can, can anybody ever say anyone's it not going be to be It would be possible at this point. In fact, he may want to play in 24 and then transfer in 25. Right. I mean, you just look at it and you just kind of say, hey, even if you, even if you choose to believe this conspiracy, okay, so for one year he would be at Nebraska. But that doesn't mean he stays at Nebraska long term if he's oh i got sold a bill of goods i want to go to georgia he could be right back in athens in 25 i I just the 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 hysterical overreaction yesterday was something else and and i would have to tell georgia fans disappoint you michigan fans know herb street hates them and tennessee fans know in the sec herb street hates them so there's no way herb street hates you georgia fans well and also herb street hates ohio state ohio state fans will tell you all about how he he, actually takes it too soft on uh, he takes it too soft That's on right. Michigan. He cozies up to everybody else. Did he move to Nashville, was it, for that reason? He was like, I got to get away from the fan base. Yeah, no, he's he's actually in, uh, I believe now, Cincinnati because his son is playing quarterback at a school there. But, but yeah, I mean, he, he literally left Ohio State because it had gotten so angry because you have these people who believe if you go on a TV show and you're a former player of the school, you're supposed to just always be rah, Pollock. rah, rah. I'm going to pick yeah. you to win every game. Even if you're a 40-point underdog, I'm supposed to yell you're going to win. Pollock got some of that. It's, 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 yeah. it's, it's ridiculous, and a lot of them get it. And I, I don't quite understand why or, or how fans so like can't what, understand that. How can Jay Cutler win with the Vanderbilt fan base then? Because, <laughs> like, I mean, like every Saturday. <laughs> anyway. By the way, uh, speaking of ESPN, of course, yesterday the uh, word comes down officially Nick Saban will be a part of the college game day crew. Excites me. Uh, look, he's going to be terrific yep. in whatever he chooses to do. I still have questions, Chuck. It was reported yesterday by an ESPN spokesperson that Corso will still be a part of the show. Obviously, Corso's role has been he's 88. progressively diminished because of his health issues and so forth. So I don't know if his role at this point will be primarily to be the headgear guy at the end and that's it. Uh, I don't know. Do we really think we're going to get Nick Saban making picks? Like, does that feel like something he'd be willing to do? That, that That's the kind of stuff I'm curious about is he's retired and he seems to be enjoying retirement. Is he going to be willing to just not give the like what Herb Street's doing the game? Herb Street will say, well, you know, I won't make a pick, but, you know, here's what I think, you know, Michigan has to do to win. Here's what Washington. The has to conventions do to win. of being a studio broadcaster. Will he participate? Yeah, I, I just I. 
is is Saban going to really immediately be like, oh yeah, I think I think Georgia's going to beat Bama. Like, is he going to do that? I don't. I don't know about and that. And then turn around and look that. at the crowd and try to get them to – no, I, I can't see him doing that now. That's the part I'm curious about. But whenever he chooses to analyze anything, man, he's going to be fantastic. How do we just add, by the way? We just add. We don't take anybody away from these shows. We just add new people. That's going to – because it's going to be – you said Lee Corso. Yeah, and Desmond and Reese and, 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 and Pat McAfee. Well, and, and again, How do you, look, just add, you keep adding every year. We talked plenty about McAfee, obviously, last year and his impact on that show. My thing is, Desmond in particular, it sure feels like maybe you need to get a younger player. You know, we're hearing about CBS that the NFL Today show that when you've got a 68 year old Phil Sims, a 62 year old Esaias, and they may want to get some more younger players, guys that have more recent contemporary experience up there. I mean, Desmond Howard won that Heisman Trophy now more than 30 years ago. I, I, there's an argument, I think. If there's one thing Fox has done right, it's getting some guys who have a little more recent experience in the game. Maybe maybe ESPN looks at that. But right now they say they're going to have the same old crew. So we'll see. Yeah, that is one thing that um, permanence and longevity on that show. Because I remember Lou Holtz did it until, my goodness, what age? Uh, and then uh, Coach Corso is about there now. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. Tonight in Arkansas, there's a mother tucking in her daughter and turning off the light. A business owner is burning the midnight oil. An at-home dinner date is plating up possibility. And it's all happening under one roof. How? The power of a conversation, like the one John from Integrity Solutions had with First Horizon Bank about his vision for a sustainable mixed-use building. Now it's not just words, it's life. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash John. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season.